RevOps, I think, is an emerging discipline in the same way that, again, I'm going to date myself and sound old, but marketing ops didn't exist in 2008. It wasn't a thing, right? And so as marketing tech became more of a de facto part of the marketing department, marketing ops became a necessary guy to have it. That's Scott Edmonds, Chief Revenue Officer at Syncery. In the modern data stack world, you have to have operations folks. It all started years ago with sales ops, then we got marketing ops, and now we have rev ops. Now, revenue ops has been, I'd say for the past three, four years, you know, rising tide of, well, I need somebody to kind of look after everything. No matter the company's size, you need to build a strong foundation. From the people, to the tools, to the way you build your teams. Having a good foundation is what will enable you to scale. A big part of today's B2B foundation is to have a great RevOps person who owns everything in the revenue stack. Scott is a legend. From being the first sales hire at Marketo to today being the chief revenue officer at Syncery, he has seen some amazing things and been a part of many cool companies. Now at Syncery, a data automation platform that is helping keep your tools in sync, he is focused on helping companies connect the spaghetti mess of a stack and keep their data in sync between multiple tools. From connecting Zendesk to Salesforce, or even Snowflake warehousing synced with Marketo, they have a cool tool and were named Emerging Big Data Vendors to Know by the channel company in 2022. Scott had a lot to share about he is growing Syncery, from their advocacy program in the RevOps community, or how they're using technographic data to target the right companies. Let's hop in and hear what Scott had to say. Scott Edmonds. I'm the CRO at a company called Syncery, sometimes pronounced Syncari, but my CEO says Syncery, so I default there. <laughs> <laughs> We're about a two and a half year old company, been in the market for about two years, and uh, I'm in charge of all things revenue. What does the CRO title mean, though, at that company? Because like the CRO title, I think, is kind of morphing over the past couple of years, but like, what does it actually mean to be a CRO there? Really, it's head of sales. You know, I, currently I own sales and partnerships and SDRs. I don't have marketing and I actually really prefer it that way at our stage. Our head of marketing, our head demand gen are mad scientists that need to go really experiment and figure out a lot of answers uh, for who we are and where we are. So I, I love watching them do their thing and don't need to somehow mess that up. <laughs> so, you know, tell me a little bit about your journey to here, right? What were some of the big highlights that got you to this spot? I've been selling pretty much my entire career and I got into SaaS. I got very lucky and got in early at this company called Marketo as their first sales hire, uh, sold their first ever customer when there were 10 employees. And then, you know, and we were furiously trying to convince the world with John Miller and, and the like that marketing automation is a guy to have it. And it took us, I'd say, shoot, man, three, four years from joining where that all of a sudden became a, you know, we would do deals and we were doing great, but it wasn't, it was it's not until you know three or four years after I joined where I was like, yeah, we got to have this. This is a, this is a thing. And you know, a bunch of companies did extraordinarily well in, in addition to Marketo too. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's it's a big space, but I mean, I think you Marketo was definitely one of the pioneers there. It was mainly you and Eloqua, right? Yeah, Eloqua is the big bad one that we we had in our sights from the day one. And then about the same time we were started or founded uh, HubSpot and uh, Pardot, which got bought by exec target and then subsequently by Salesforce were founded at around the same time. So they were, we were all kind of like these ankle biters and Marketo, I think, notably broke out, although HubSpot has just been killing the game in a lot of different fashions. I really admire that company a lot. 
Now, I have to ask, you know, you worked at Marketo, which is just an absolute rocket ship. You know, I had John Miller on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Great guy, like a lot of fun to talk to. And he knows his stuff, man. Like, but I'm curious, like, because Marketo was such a trailblazer, right? And being such an early employee there, you know, you were there for seven years, you got product market fit, you traveled the world to sell the product. I mean, what would be like the one or two learnings that you really took out of that experience that really changed you? Uh, well, it's interesting because John Miller, you know, we sold what we did, which is a fun thing. And actually, I think that's on the table for us to do here at Syncree. Like, ultimately, we were selling to marketers about a way to be a better marketer. And John just told that story, man. Like, everybody wanted to do what John wrote about and spoke about. And so I think in a, in, and it's rare that you have that kind of experience to do that, right? I mean, I think, you know, Salesforce obviously did that in those early days. This is, this is how we build our business. It's on Salesforce. This is, Marketo is very similar. Uh, Gong is a great example of that. Outreach is an amazing example of that. You know, this is how we prospect. This is how we actually share information in the company via recordings, et cetera. And so yeah, I want to I do that. And uh, it's fun to be able to sell a product that is a foundational part of how you guys are growing. So it's, I think one learning is that it's hard to find that. <laughs> so, you know, what does Syncery do? Syncery gets companies back in sync. You know, like a customer's identity is now locked in a way, I think on average, the mid-sized company runs 120 different applications. If I'm trying to use those all apps and they're all doing something quasi-meaningful for me, then there's a piece of the customer's identity locked away in each one of them. And so what we unlock our mega power as an application and as a company and as a know-how is that we can have multiple different database applications fully in sync. You know, so your Zendesk data matches your HubSpot data, matches your Marketo data, matches your Salesforce data, matches your SAP CRM data, matches your, you know, Amplitude data. If you think about the state of the industry, you know, there's a lot of talk about this. I don't know if you're given that this is the stack, there's this concept of the modern data stack. The reason you would build a modern data stack is to try to understand what the heck is going on in your company. You know, it's usually a BI play to do it, right? And, you know, even, you know, my journey in Syncry has been pretty, I've been pretty impressed with all the things you need to do to make a, a Tableau work correctly, for example, right? You don't just hook it into Salesforce exactly. You need to get oceans of data pumped into your Redshift or Snowflake or BigQuery. You need to, you know, have... DBT, organize a bunch of different tables and clean it up and have different models built. You need to, maybe if you're really, really savvy, you have another ETL product to get that cleaned up data back into the CRM for use and stuff like this. And then you hook your Tableau on top of your data warehouse and, and maybe you get something. But that's, in a nutshell, that's five, you know, half a million dollars to, you know, I've heard up to 20 million bucks of building out what I just talked about in product and salaries. And it you might also be two years into it, whether until you figure out if you're winning or losing on this project. Scott just spoke about the modern data stack. Just like RevOps, the modern data stack is kind of a new thing. And it's not something that is completely clear to everyone. In the traditional engineering sense, when you say tech stack, you're referring to the development language and tools used to build the stack. Maybe you've heard of the MERN stack, the MEAN stack, or even the LAMP stack. LAMP stands for Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. It is an easier way to say the acronym than the LAMP stack compared to trying to say all of those tools. The modern data stack is not exactly a stack though, and it's causing some confusion. It is just a vague marketing term and is not all that specific. Let's hear more about the modern data stack from Eric Talati at Null Queries. So when we look at the modern data stack and everyone has their own definition, it's not really a clear stack, like say LAMP. 
It includes a cloud platform, some sort of data pipeline, sometimes Python or Airflow, maybe Spark, but also tools like Fivetran, DBT, Stitch, and many, many others. Data is stored in data lakes, and usually, but not always, there's data warehouses. There's some sort of analytics tools involved, like Tableau, Power BI, Looker, or a variety of other industry-specific tools. And so it leads an engineer to ask, what exactly is the stack? Also, is this the same process we've been doing for decades? And what makes it modern other than cloud computing and a lot more tools to pick from? I know when you think about the modern data stack, you are not going to look at this from an engineering angle. But this is where I want to challenge you. If you want to be successful as a marketer in the future, you really want to have a better grasp on the data in your stack and how it flows around. With some of today's marketing superpowers being reverse CTL, like keeping Salesforce data up to date with custom calculations from your Snowflake warehouse using Syncery, you need to know the range of possibilities and how to talk the talk with your engineering team. If you can do this, you're going to lap your competitors since you can put all of this data you have to work. No, I'm not asking you to become a data engineer or to know what the LAMP stack means. You do, however, need to know how to use tools like Syncery to pipe data around and activate your data. This will require you to have a more than a basic understanding of just how these things work. Let's get back to Scott and hear more of what he had to say about his KPIs. When you think about like your role and the KPIs or goals you have, what are you most focused on from a KPI perspective to deem success? Yeah, it's revenue and retention of revenue. I mean, you know, the key stuff that our board is always interested in is, of course, net new bookings, net dollar retention, ASP, not much more. I mean, a little more than that, obviously, but I mean, those are the biggies. But the KPIs that I think about beyond the key board metrics there are, are we getting enough meetings and getting the gospel spread out? And are we getting ears, ears and eyes? And so, I mean, we track that through close partnership. You know, obviously, demo request is a pretty easy proxy for that, but even... We've got a demo hub on our website. Are people watching our demos? So it sounds like, you know, meetings, of course, since you're, you're basically venturing into a new category, meetings, getting those demos, right? It's definitely not a comparison battle there. But you had also mentioned uh, net uh, revenue retention, right? So, and that's something that I don't hear a lot of companies talk about. Can you kind of give us a little bit of a high level of how your organization thinks about net revenue retention? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's just a calculation of what somebody was paying versus you know, a year ago from what they're paying now. I mean, we slice that up in various different ways, but for the general sake, you know, if somebody bought us something for a dollar and now they're paying a dollar fifty, be 150% revenue retention. Now, when you think about trying to hit all of these KPIs, right? So you've got to drive revenue, you've got to drive expansion, you of course have got to win the hearts and minds and get those meetings. What are the, the big projects you're running right now to hit those goals? A lot of things. We do the things you would imagine that we do in terms of paid content syndication. We have an SDR team that is, we're pretty careful about our selection because this is kind of a fun product in as much as that like anybody could get value out of this, whether they could afford it or et cetera is, is a different thing. So who's got the most pressing need for it? We need a little bit more of a repeatable sales cycle. And so we're aiming for that 50 to 90 day sales cycle ballpark. And so just thinking about mid-market with good tech fits is an important part of the, the things we're doing to hit those KPIs. We're also investing really heavily in just the RevOps community. Uh, RevOps, I think, is, a, is an emerging discipline in the same way that, again, I'm going to date myself and sound old, but marketing ops didn't exist in 2008, in 2009. It wasn't a thing, right? And so as marketing tech became more of a de facto part of the marketing department, 
marketing ops became a necessary guy to have it. And now revenue ops has been, I'd say for the past three, four years, you know, rising tide of, well, I need somebody to kind of look after everything. And in some cases you see that title is head of business applications, chief of staff, revenue operations, sometimes sales operations is given that responsibility. But what happens across the entire customer journey and how do I optimize it from leads to cash and how do they work together? So we're investing heavily in that community. It's important to us that I think that executives see revenue operations as a strategic multiplier. You know, companies that do this well, win deals faster, win deals bigger, retain customers better, et cetera. And if they buy into that, there's a methodology to, to get those goals. And RevOps has definitely been coming up hot in the marketplace, right? Marketing ops was even hotter five years ago. Now RevOps is like the thing. Yeah, look, I, I think if it was my responsibility, I, I would have a hard time, you know, keeping control of the data and building dashboards and understanding really what's going on. So the the fact that we have a kick-ass RevOps person solves a lot of these problems. And the fact that she's using Syncree, I think, to make it all happen. I think that, you know, sub-100 employees, a lot of people think of, of RevOps as kind of a nice to have. And I would... I would counsel those people to either, if you can't, definitely prioritize it, get a full-time hire, build that strategy centrally. If you can't, you know, work with Dan McGaugh and his people. You know, uh, a couple of our partners also, uh, Lisi is a really good shop, Mattermark is a really good shop. You should definitely take a peek at those guys. It is money well spent to get good habits built early. Now, you talked about like some of the things that your team is doing to hit those goals. You talked about paid, content syndication, and then, of course, this SDR team. I would assume, is SDR doing a hardcore outbound strategy? I mean, I'm assuming the inbound stuff's coming in, but it, like, is that the strategy there with the SDRs? Is outbound? A bit of both. It's about half and half, I'd say. What we're doing a lot is a lot of events, you know, digital and otherwise. Digital and uh, thank goodness we're doing a lot more in-person events. And those have been just an awesome driver because I think people get the story, you know, to a certain extent when you're kind of like, get your company in sync, you know, it's like, well, are you consulting? Are you not? So like once they actually see what we do, it gets really interesting. And you get into the weeds of understanding really like what are the problems? What are the blockers internally? How does, you know, what does revenue ops even mean over there? I think that's always an interesting question I always like to ask, right? Is who do you report to? <laughs> what are your KPIs? What, what's important? What's good? What's strategic? What's firefights? But so I think inbound, outbound, those, the event working, you know, demo hand requests uh, raises in, for outbound critical, you know, importance is, is account selection. We have some pretty good data providers that we trust that we use to build out these lists. AEs are doing some of their prospecting in that same regard. And, you know, the tools that we rely on to make some of those things happen is we run outreach that's integrated into Syncree. We run, um, it's really, really cool app called Metadata. This does targeted advertising, display advertising, and social advertising for us to the person, as opposed to catch all just, uh, you know, I want to market to Accenture. Well, <laughs> it's a big company. You can, Are you marketing to who, right? So they help us be very specific where who we want to target. Would you say metadata is an account-based marketing tool, right? Like it kind of bleeds that line. Well, yeah, but I think their lane, which they're very good at, is, is advertising, right? I mean, I know account-based marketing got very popular over... Thanks, John Miller, was over the past eight years. But the um, I think, you know, metadata specifically is all about advertising. When you think about, like, the other big parts of the stack there, like, what are the big building blocks that you're using as the foundation there? So metadata is an important part of ads and display. Marketo is our marketing automation system. Syncree, obviously, is a key, key part of this whole thing. And then uh, we run our, our, our website in WordPress. We're running an interesting little experiment with this app called uh, Service Bell. You know, which is basically like, it, it looks like a chat window on a pricing page and you see somebody kind of waving at you. And if you click on it, it actually connects you to that person and 
you have a video chat happening right now. And in some cases, that's awesome because they're like, hey, you know, your pricing was super confusing. And they're like, oh no, here's what it's like. Great, problem solved, answers, questions, you know? And so it's just quick answers to things that matter when you need it. On the sales side, we're slightly, we run, so GetAccept is an e-signature and document management tool that we use, which is really cool. Salesforce, I've used Salesforce my entire sales career, well, SaaS sales career, I should say. I even still use it in Classic because I think once you learn how to do something fast, you have a hard time navigating something else, which is why I think Salesforce is going to continue to dominate. Slintel and Cognizum are our data providers. I think they're both awesome. Slack for internal comms, SalesNav. I think that LinkedIn is basically an operating system at this point. I mean, I use it like I use Salesforce in a lot of different ways. I don't think I could do my job without LinkedIn. I, I can't remember how we used to do this before LinkedIn in sales. You know, how did I understand what was going on at a company or who worked there or 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 what they did? Like, how did that? Do you remember how that happened? Yeah, associations. We that was how <laughs> we figured these things out. We joined the national association of whatever industry, and that was the only way to figure half of this stuff out. That's all I remember. I've, Man, I don't know. Or the Chamber of Commerce. Do you remember those days? I don't know if you were in those days. I remember going to a Chamber of Commerce meeting, yeah. I don't remember getting org charts when I went, but, you know. No, well, you didn't get the org chart, but at least you found out that, like, Tony worked there and then Karen. Like, so you got some context. But, yeah, of course you didn't get the damn org chart. (laughs) You had to ask Tony who was in the org chart. I remember those days doing sales, having to ask people, so who's your boss? But nowadays you just look on LinkedIn. You got it. You got it. There were two other things we use that I like a lot too. Um, we use SetSale, which is a really cool kind of like, it's, it's like a contest app. So there's a different contest for the SDRs and for the AEs, which is do the things that should make you good at your job. For the SDRs, their goal is to book qualified meetings. So we don't pay on that in the contest. That's how they make their variable and AEs are closing deals. So we don't really, that's not part of the contest because that's what you're supposed to do. But how many meetings do you have this week? How many people with VP or above were on that meeting? You know, how many emails did you receive this week? And each one of those ones has a little point total and it scores up and, you know, the winner gets, you know, a prize at the end of the uh, beginning of the next week and our CEO is on that distribution. So it's kind of nice, you know, for him to be like, hey, yeah, good job. You know, just the little pieces that are important for us to, to continue to be good at what we do and get to that end goal of getting a deal. Because if you're not having meetings and you're not getting emails sent to you and you're not talking to decision makers, then it's a reasonable likelihood that you're probably not going to get some deals closed. So you're using that to motivate your sales reps to do additional activities compared to just like what they're supposed to do. I feel like there's other things about set sale though that like help you understand when you should do something or things like that. I feel like there's another piece of the platform. They do. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also, I mean, I actually find it really interesting for just remote work, right? If I think about the things that we would have done if we were all in the office in the sales pit, we would have been listening to other people's calls, like pretty much on the floor, right? There would be, you could see who's doing what and help. You could, you could have real-time ad hoc conversations and that's just harder now. This helps out, right? So that if there's a deal that looks like it's stalled out for some analysis that set sale can give you, then you could try to do something about it. You could just be a little bit more proactive. And I see, I see the reps even doing that with each other. Be like, oh, yo, I heard, I was looking at set sale and I saw this. I think that here's an idea that might help you, that kind of a thing. And again, that's all would just happen organically on a sales floor in the past, I think. Now, when you, you have set sale that's helping motivate people, right? You're providing them, LinkedIn is giving them kind of information they can use. Cognizant, you had mentioned, is a data tool that you're using. And then Slintel, I think is what you said? Yeah, Slintel is kind of like a, uh, they actually got bought by Sixth Sense recently. Yeah, so Cognizant drives all of our enrichment and we run enrichment directly through Syncree. So we have Outreach, Zendesk, uh, Salesforce, Marketo, 
all these things connected into into Syncree. And then if something's missing, like a title, for example, then you know we call Cognizant and it enriches the title. And then that updates everything in the, all these systems simultaneously so that we're never in doubt that you know, Jessica is the CMO or whatever it might be because that's on our profile. And Syncree distributes that evenly. And then uh, Sluntel, the AEs and the SDRs use is kind of like a, it's got a Chrome plugin. So you're on somebody's LinkedIn profile and it's got their email and phone number and you can very quickly add them to Salesforce and call them up or whatever you need to do. So it's kind of like hunter.io. I don't know if you heard about them. Yeah, yeah, kind of like them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. You had mentioned earlier though, one thing that I'm curious about is you had talked about technographic, right? So like, of course, knowing the technologies a company has, where are you getting that data from? Actually, Slintel is really good at that stuff too. And, and it's interesting because I think there was, what was the product? Um, Datanize? Built with? Built with. Yeah, Datanize Built With is the one I was thinking of. And a lot of that was kind of driven off of uh, Java tags, right? So I see the Marketo Munchkin code on your website, therefore you're a Marketo customer. And we first detected it in 2014 and last detected it in 2018 or whatever, like those kind of stats. And that could be super, super useful. In some cases, false positives. Like I could have turned in 2012, but I never took the tag off my website because I'm a bad website admin or something like that. I think that the HubSpot CRM ecosystem is incredibly interesting. You know, we, we've had a lot of good success. And in as much as it like, I think back to 2018 or something like this, and you would see the companies would be like, oh, we're 50 people. We got to grow up into Salesforce now. And I see that less and less. You know, I think that HubSpot's really done some amazing things in the CRM market. And you see you know, hundreds and thousands of persons companies running HubSpot is their CRM. It's pretty impressive. And so, but, you know, they still struggle. You know, I think so many people have divested, invested so much in their Salesforce integration slash sync that they don't have that same parity for HubSpot. And we're helping those companies out a lot. So back to your data question. I mean, like for me to go get a list of, I'm going to go find every HubSpot CRM customer that's, you know, between 200 and 1,000 employees and go call them up. That's hard to get because there's no real Java tag to it. But Sluntel does a pretty good job of helping us find some of those things and test those assumptions and give us lists to go work on. I have to jump in here for a minute and talk about technographics. Scott just mentioned that Sixth Sense bought Slintel, and a few weeks back on the podcast, we spoke to John Miller, the CMO of Demandbase, and how they acquired Demand Matrix for their technographic. And if you're a nerd like me, you know how Zoom Info acquired Datanize, another technographic provider, a few years back. Technographic data is hot, and while some players are getting gobbled up, there are still some other folks out there like Biltwith that are just hanging out. They're kind of the originator in the technographic space and still run by their founder, Gary, and he's still doing pretty well. But why is this space so hot? Let's hear from Logan Kelly at Union Resolute on three ways you can use this data. There's a few places that I use technographic data when building an addressable market. The first is complementary software. Are there pieces of software that if a target has, it makes them a better company for you to work with? That can be a straight line as, hey, we're sales loft and we would like to focus on everybody who uses Salesforce because sales loft sits on Salesforce very nicely. So that would be complementary data. The second would be competitive. So do you have a software that like you're a SaaS company and you are competing in the space where you want to target everybody who uses that particular software? So we have complementary, we have competitive, And then, this is a little bit more nuanced, 
but there's signaling, right? So for instance, do we want to see people who, have, who like use a G Suite or do we want to see people who use a Microsoft product? Does that tell you something about the way the company is, is run and the way the company thinks? I love it how he broke that down into three ways you can look at this. And trust me, knowing that a company uses Gmail compared to Outlook is a huge sign of how that company operates. I'm not going to pick any fights here, but we all know the difference between a company running on Microsoft compared to a company running on G Suite. Well, if you're struggling for ideas, shoot me a note on LinkedIn and I'll give you some freebie advice. But let's get back to Scott and hear more about what he had going on in his tech stack. So you're running the sales team, right? But I didn't hear you say a gong.io or chorus.ai. I mean, like, how are you providing that coaching based upon the demos and meetings they're doing? We used a tool in the very early days, just as we were getting started. We used this app that, frankly, I really like. You know, it's called fireflies.ai, and it is that. It's a bot that gets invited to your meetings, and it records it, transcribes it, and they just recently, I, I believe, are coming out with video. It's pretty cool. Right, And it does its thing. In fact, actually, the CS team has asked if they can get in on it. So we have most of the CS running uh, Fireflies as well there. And then you're using those transcriptions and those recordings to help everybody optimize the experience. We use it for a number of things. It's like, hey, you know, for coaching, I think is the key thing. But also, like, you know, if I want to share something with product or if I want to share something with even just like a good shout out to somebody who did something awesome, Rather than me just shouting out in Slack, I cut out like a 20-second clip of it and post it in there. Or same thing for like, hey, you know, this is how they describe this transformation that they want to do on these data tables. And I can send that to our, 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 our product manager and get a nuanced answer back. What are the three recommendations that you would give to other sales leaders or other marketers out there who are trying to improve or optimize their stack? I think that every single one of the really good sales tech companies are trying to become a full-fledged stack of their own, right? You know, via acquisition or build. And I, I just think that, like, what gets really distracting and, frankly, very expensive, you know, it doesn't get expensive until you realize it's all of a sudden very expensive. And therefore, you know, everybody complains since on-prem days that, like, hey, we have this expensive thing and we don't really use it that much. I think we're just going to see a lot more full stacks. It wouldn't surprise me if anything, like, any of these revenue intelligence call recording companies or email sequencer companies all become full Stack, CRM, marketing automation, you name it. In the way that like HubSpot has become like, you could buy everything you want from HubSpot almost. And in a way, that's why Salesforce has grown so well. You know, you have one AE, one, one invoice. You know, the question is like, do all these products really work together the way that you need it? It's going to be a massive headache to, to do so. But I think more companies are actually, HubSpot's built a ton of their own stuff, you know, as opposed to acquiring a ton of things. And it's, from what I hear, I'm not a HubSpot customer, but it tends to show in the, uh, what the teams can execute with. So I, I think if anything, you know, back to like your question, it's do find ways to simplify as always, like it'll just allow you to move faster and uh, you know, don't get slowed down by your tools if you're able to. When you think about like the predictions of the stack in the future and, and you're in MarTech and you've been in MarTech for a long time, right? So like you're kind of an OG in my opinion when it comes down to the stack. What do you see in the future for us five or 10 years from now and not thinking about Syncery, right? Like, because obviously you're part of the future. Yeah, I just think that it's going to become more of like, you know, suites of products or single products that do all the things is to me the direction that it's going. Like, I mean, the last 10 years have been like, people have been like, oh my God, I can build an app that does this thing that I used to do on paper or Excel or whatever. And that's great. And then I think companies are also like, well, now I also have a hundred invoices to pay and hundred admins for these products. And that's that's the other end of the pendulum that I think we're kind of swinging back on. So like in five years, 
I think we're just going to have less products and less admins and less invoices. That much consolidation, you think? Uh, I mean, not like complete, you know, but yeah, I think it'll get down to something where it's like you got a, a few core vendors you rely on, you know, for categories of things, sales products, marketing products, and data products, who knows, right? But I mean, even, you know, like from a B2B enterprise perspective, everybody's trying to be wall to wall. Salesforce has been doing the best job at it. Salesforce is challenging. You know, Zendesk is trying to do it. So I, yeah, I think so. You know, one of the things you had mentioned, which I thought was interesting, is like these full-fledged stacks, right? When I was talking to John Miller, he was talking about like most tools are horizontally focused in the stack. He said, but over time, like tools become more and more vertically integrated throughout that entire stack. And it's interesting because we think about like it used to only be suites and then it went all SaaS and now we're headed back to uh, let's everybody do suites again. And I'm curious to see like what that turns into over the next 10 years about like, the suites, are they going to run into the same problem that Adobe runs into now, right? Like where it's a walled garden and you can't get data out. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that all happens. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, there's always going to be a pendulum one way or the other. But to me, I think most revenue leaders that I kind of talk shop with and, and business leaders for that matter are kind of frustrated with their tech sprawl, you know, and like are almost kind of hoping for the days of a little bit of some sweet products that they could buy. But but yeah, you know, does innovation slow down? Does Do you get knuckled on your renewals? I don't know, probably, right? And then the pendulum will kind of go back to unbundling and, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. And I always try to pick on Intercom. You know, while I love their chatbot, you know, they kept adding all these different features like a help desk and all these other stuffs. And it's like, guys, you do everything 60% good, but 40% bad. Can you stop <laughs> being a sweet? Because your tool is starting to suck. So it can be really, really hard to be a sweet, right? Because you can't boil the ocean. Uh, so definitely really, really interesting. This has been great. I appreciate you being able to come on. Uh, definitely a lot, a great to be able to see you again. And I appreciate you being able to come on and help out our listeners. I appreciate the invite, man. It's really, really good to see you. I hope we see you on the West Coast sometime soon. That was a fun conversation with Scott. The dude has a great background and knows his shit. Let's talk about some of the highlights, though. First, we dug into the modern data stack. The way we used to do marketing in MailChimp is going away. Nowadays, you need to be able to have that data passed around between tools more freely and even reverse the data out of your data warehouse and not just put data in the warehouse. This means you as the marketer need to get much more technical or you're going to get left behind. Second, you need to get your ops in check. Whether it's marketing ops, sales ops, rev ops, or even the impending big ops, you need to have a good foundation for your data operations and your data tracking. It is these amazing operations folks who connect these things together so you can have amazing marketing campaigns. And finally, I talked about technographics. This is a super underutilized data enrichment option. People miss the boat on this all the time. Let me give you an example. I own UTM.io, a data governance product for those pesky UTM campaign links that marketers make. We get technographic data from Clearbit and it tells us when a new signup uses Google Analytics or if they have Adobe. Since our tool only works with UTMs, a Google tracking thing, we have our sales ignore the new leads that come in from the Adobe Analytics product that don't have any GA. This saves the team time, increases our efficiency, and we end up wasting less money talking to people who cannot use our tool. Adobe users don't care about UTMs. I wonder though how you could do this for your leads. If you found out what was complimentary or even competitor tools that were installed on their site, how could you use that data to grow? Well, that's all I have for today. Because you're interested in the modern data stack, you should go order a free copy of my book at buildcoolshit.com. And before you go do that, drop us a review. We'd love to know your thoughts about how we're doing. All right, I'll see you next week on the stack. Have a great week.